speaking from. Uh, It's Luke chapter 7. We're going to be beginning in verse 11. Luke chapter 7, beginning of verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the briar, that they were carrying him on, and, bearers, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. As I came in, there's been a little blip a couple of years that sort of passed and flew and everything and uh, it's before then that I came but it's lovely to be back with you again um, and uh, it's interesting that whenever I come that Mark's always on holiday he's one of my best friends um, I don't know whether that says anything at all about what you're about to hear or anything like that but I wish him all the best wherever he is I think he's gone to Northern Ireland again hasn't he so um, but I haven't seen him for a while so I need to catch up with him and I'll remind him about the fact that he's never here when I come <laughs> But anyway, it's lovely to be here. Um, it's nice to have, because I wasn't expecting the diversion. We were coming in and we had to go down the prom to come in and it was really quite nice looking over the sea. And we almost stopped, didn't we? We felt like we ought to go buy some chips or something and be on holiday kind of thing. Although we've only just got back, so it shouldn't really be that way. Um, good, great meal to share with you, as I say. We're coming to look at uh, a passage that we've just had read to us in Luke chapter 7. And uh, this evening... We're kind of going to a funeral, which doesn't sound like the greatest introduction in the world, does it? But, but uh, there's so much we can learn from this uh, event that took place uh, in Jesus' ministry, and Luke records it for us. Um, I've been a pastor for about 30 years now. It seems, doesn't seem that long, but uh, I know I don't look that old. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it, I have been a pastor for about 30 years and taken, unfortunately, many funerals. But in some ways, fortunately as well, there's a real, there's a real privilege People sometimes say to me, you know, or say to pastors generally, how do you cope when you have to sit at the bedside of somebody who's losing a loved one and all that kind of thing? And it's not easy, of course, but the presence of God with a Christian who is going at that point can never be more real. Honestly, it really can't. And if, if uh, you know, just as an aside, if you're worried about that moment, believe me, Jesus is real, at, more real, that's a terrible word, more real at that moment than he'll ever be any other time in your life. He's right there with you. And the sense of his presence has always been amazing, and the sense of peace, and have been in all sorts of difficult situations, tragic. There's sadness, of course, but there's always the presence of God there. And, he, and with, with those who love the Lord, it's an amazing experience, and it's one I find a real privilege, to be honest. Um, quite often, at, at bedsides, we'll sing, sing hymns, to speak of psalms, and, and there's so much that we can we encourage ourselves with as people make those final steps into the into the glory of God in that way. So we shouldn't be sad about that, although obviously if we're losing somebody, that's what happens, and that's, that's what's there. But sometimes when they take a funeral, and it, going back right to the start of the time, things don't always go according to plan. And uh, my very first funeral I ever took uh, was in a place called Leatherhead in Surrey. And uh, it, was a, it, was a, it, was a, um, 
I was, I'd not long been at this church, and it, was a, it wasn't somebody who went to the church, and the senior pastor there at the time said, this will be a good one for you to take. He knew what he was doing. So I went down there, and uh, it, was a, it was an old Welsh guardsman, and all, they all turned up in all of their finest regalia of army uniforms. and what. Nearly all of them Welsh had come from the valleys and everywhere and what have you, from all over the place. The place was packed. And, and I was really nervous, and I went through the whole thing, and, you know, very moving testimonies to this man's life. Not a, not, not a flicker from anybody, just stoically standing, sitting there, until we'd, we'd, the coffin had gone and everything else, and, and I said, at the, and he said, the music as they played on the way out was Tom Jones and the Green Green Grass of Home, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house, honestly. That, was, that broke the barriers. Another time, the second time was the second one. See, I didn't have a very good start. That, was, that went okay. That frightened me. But the second time was a lady who apparently, apparently her name was Edna, uh, although I'd buried Elsie. I called her Elsie all the way through. And that, the, the family were really, really kind to me at the end of that. Uh, I don't know who Elsie was, but she had a great funeral, whoever it was. <laughs> so we've, if you ask any pastor, they'll all tell you their stories of these type of things. So I'm not unusual. Well, I might be. I'm consoling myself. That perhaps I'm not unusual. But also there are the tragic ones as well. And this is a bit like what happened tonight, as we read in this story here. Um, and uh, I've done a few of those as well in my time. And, and especially when there have been people contrasting to what we said before, where they don't know the Lord. And there's no security. And there's no hope of heaven. And you're trying your best to encourage the family but you know the desolation that's there and they've got no hope. They're looking for something somewhere. And you can bring them the warnings and the hopes and, and, the, uh, and the things that you can get from Scripture, but it, it's very little that you can offer them other than that. And if they're not believing that anyway, they don't find any hope in it. It's desolate, isn't it? And we've all probably been to those type of funerals as well. Well, here, in this situation, we have a widow. The widow of Nain. Uh, I used to think this, when I, when I was younger, this town, this was called Nairn. And those of you who are Scottish know there is a town in the north of Scotland, not far from Inverness, called Nairn, which is a very pretty place. And I thought it was there when I was little, but it's not there. It's in the Middle East. And uh, this widow of, of Nairn, Nairn rather. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, but at this point, she's, she's a widow, so she's lost her husband, her provider, her protector. And now she's lost her only son, who is also going to be growing up to be. And it says he's a man in my text and version. I think we read it was a man there as well, which means that he's a grown man and he's, he's the one who would grow up and be the man of the house and protect and provide and bring everything that was necessary for them to have, for her to have, a, 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 to be looked after in life. And now he's gone too, is her only son. So there's no one left. She's completely alone in the world and in those days as a woman, that meant she was completely desolate. <clears throat> completely without everything in the world. Her life has completely fallen apart. The future was incredibly bleak and there was no hope for her ever. Hopeless and helpless in this situation. So how is God going to minister into that situation? Well, we know, we know the story. We've just read it. But what does that tell us about something of Jesus? Well, I think in order to get this, it said sometime later, and we need to put this all into a bit of a context here, don't we? In Luke's account of the gospel, going back to the beginning of the gospel, he wanted to explain to his friend called Theophilus about who Jesus was and investigate who he was so Theophilus could say with certainty, this is the man I believe in. This is the God, he is who he says he was going to be. So he sends his friend Luke the doctor to go and investigate this to, to find out whether it's true. 
And so Luke's whole gospel and the book of Acts are based around that thing. Let's go find out, interview people, and find out whether all this is true. And can I really believe everything that I've read or heard about Jesus? Okay, that's what he's trying to say. And so, um, of course, the gospel starts in Nazareth. Jesus goes to Nazareth and he goes and preaches because Jesus is a preacher first and foremost. And he says his message was that he was going to bring good news to the poor. It's good news to the poor. And he quotes uh, a, a passage from Isaiah talking about the year of Jubilee. And it was one of their favorite passages that they used to have read in the synagogue in Nazareth. So you could see them all get misty and dewy-eyed about this, this time that was to come, that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to be great and all of this was going to happen. And then Jesus shocks them all by saying, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then they, they, they don't like the idea of that. They think, who does he think he is? He's Joseph's son, Mary's son, and all the rest of it, and want to throw him over the, over the cliff. Um, such, is the, such is the lot of a preacher who tells the truth sometimes, isn't it? Um, but he goes on then. Luke records the next chapter. He's preaching and teaching the kingdom of God and demonstrating it with incredible, powerful miracles and things. Kingdom power over sickness. Kingdom priorities in chapter 6 in particular of grace. These characteristics of God's kingdom. It's what it looks like, a kingdom of grace. A kingdom of mercy. Which, where, where there was not much mercy around in their society as today. But a kingdom of grace and mercy and generosity. A generous God who longs to reach out to his children. And so he, Jesus has been talking about this. And the bit that it was referring to before, some time later, we just had a, an account where Jesus had sent Peter out to fish for, uh, out into the deep. You remember the story where he, gets, he meets him at the shoreline and he sends him out after being fishing all night, caught nothing, and Peter's a bit upset because he's, Jesus is telling him how to fish, uh, as if he should do that. But he says, because it's you, I'll go and do it. And he goes down and he can't contain the amount of fish. And, and it, Peter's reaction is incredible, isn't it? He doesn't... You know, if that had been us, we'd have had the fish back on shore, wouldn't we? And we've had it all piled up with Jesus standing on one side, me on the other, smiling a big selfie, making sure that everyone knew that this had happened and glorying in the miracle. But Peter's reaction was, no, Lord, I'm an unclean man. I sh- you shouldn't be here with me. I know who you are because Jesus has been pursuing him all this time. But the, the point of that, again, is Luke's reason for including that story was a number of things. But one of them was to show, was again, Jesus demonstrating that God's kingdom is an abundant kingdom. Not just some fish, but lots of fish. Yeah. A, a huge amount of fish. They couldn't number them. Had to get the mates, and it had effect on everybody around. And so Jesus has been talking about this wonderful kingdom of grace and mercy and generosity and abundance. And it's all been really positive. And so a crowd's following him as he goes around, as he's been there all the time. That's kind of the background to all of it. And then t- tonight we, we see in, the, in this encounter that Jesus has with this widow here in Nain, the compassion of God's kingdom. The compassion of God's king. Jesus is the king, and yet he's the, he's the, one with the, most, the most humble king you could ever meet because he steps down from his kingly throne, comes to this earth, and gets involved in the muck and mire of it, and even to a widow who's lost her only son. And that's kind of where we're coming from with this story. He meets the greatest enemy of God's kingdom of anyone at all in this world, and that is death. And he meets it head on and demonstrates God's powerful kingdom here as well. And that's what this is all about. Death is not a subject that most of us like to talk about, of course, even though we've already spent a good few minutes talking about it tonight. But it's not really because for most people, especially not people who aren't saved, there's a fear 
and a dread of it, isn't it? We've all got to face it one day, death and taxes and all of that. It's one out of one of us. None of us are going to get out of here alive. I don't mean here. I mean generally life. We're not going to get out of here alive. It's, you know, Elton John wrote that lovely musical, didn't he? The one with the lion and everything, Lion King, the circle of life. It's all something we need to get used to. And yet we can't. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants, nobody looks forward to it. Even Christians don't. We often say, don't we? We all can't wait to get to heaven. It'd be great to get to heaven. And I say, okay, well, there's a coach parked outside going to take you there tonight. Oh, well, hang on. I'm not quite so sure I want to go right now. Is that right? Everybody, the song used to be written, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And it's true, isn't it? It's true what it's like. And so we find it. And why do we find it so hard? Why do we find this whole subject so hard? Because it's part of life, isn't it? It feels so wrong. Whenever we lose someone, even as a Christian, it's hard. Sometimes we question, God, why? Especially if it's somebody who's not, you know, who's younger in life or whatever, had all life ahead of them and stuff. We, we question, don't we? Naturally, because we're human. And actually, it's what we're meant to feel about death. We're not meant to sort of enjoy it, really, sort of some kind of masochistic enjoyment of that. We're meant to feel it because it's, it's the ultimate penalty, the ultimate result of our rebellion against God is this, death. And that's why it's so hard for us to take, because we were never made to die. We were made to be eternal. We were made to live with Jesus forever. And so this is an assault on everything that we were made for. And even non-Christians, even people who don't read the Bible, don't have any interest in it at all, find it hard because it seems, everyone says death, it seems so unfair. And yet it is actually the penalty of what's happened, isn't it, really? And, and in... in, in um, this mysterious little book in the Old Testament, which I love actually, called Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, it says the reason why we struggle with death is because God has set eternity in all of our hearts. We were made for eternity. And because of our sin, we've lost it. And only Jesus can give it us back, if you like, in a very simple way. So death has come because of sin. Because we've chosen to ignore God's good rule, God's good design in our lives, Death has come. And all of us are guilty of that, as we know. And all of us need a saviour. And I trust that most of us here tonight are saved. And we know the glory of that. We know the good news. And that's the good news of God's kingdom. That Jesus can even overturn the greatest enemy of us all. And that's death. Because nobody else in this whole universe has got an answer to it. Only him. And that's the good news that we're going to talk about tonight. So whilst we started at a funeral, this is good news. And I hope we're going to be encouraged as we talk, look at this briefly this evening, only Jesus has got the answer to it. But we start with the woman where she is, and that's the grief. Three G's tonight, not the three, the BGs, the three G's tonight. And the first G is grief. I don't know if you've ever woken, well, you, most of you probably have experienced this at some point, but you wake up on the day of a funeral. Imagine that woman, she's woken up on this day, the morning. And her life has fallen apart. She's lost her only son. Husband, she's buried already. And she's probably not slept much the night before. She's been tossing and turning, as you would. I don't know if you've ever woken up on the day of a funeral. That's what it's like. I can remember when my dad died quite a few years ago now, my mum. And those days seem very strange indeed. It's not days that you prepare. You can't really prepare yourself for. And uh, it's hard if you've ever experienced it. And here in this kind of Middle Eastern funeral, the whole village get involved because the whole village has lost somebody. This young boy could have provided for them as a village. There was a community, very much a communal feel to the whole thing. So everybody was, was devastated, but none more so than this woman. 
And so people begin to gather outside the door of the house. And they'll hear people talking and jabbering and things. And some would be crying. Some would be up mourning. There'd be sounds of weeping outside, an eerie sort of atmosphere. In those days, just to help the situation along, they used to hire professional mourners who would weep and wail as loud as anybody could. But in some sense, that's a good thing because it meant that if you felt upset, you didn't feel awkward. You could let it all out. Something to be said for that. Um, uh, Because sometimes at funerals, people try and hold it all in and they've got to be stoical about it. But it's a good thing to let it go. Anyway, that's what they did. And so the noise outside would be getting louder and louder as the village gathered and all the crowd was gathering there. She's laying her boy to rest. It's the day that every parent would hope never would come, isn't it? Let's face it, not to how old they are. You don't want to see your children in that situation and have to face that. So she's devastated beyond belief, isn't she? The grief is profound. As I said before, no protector now, no provider. She's desolate. Her life is destroyed. How will she live? Maybe she'll have to start begging to make a living. The village will try to help, but they're all poor too. How are they? They're just, in one sense, glad it's not them, because it could have been them. She's totally and utterly broken. That's the word I would use for it. Broken. Her life has been broken, and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to be mended again. Have you ever felt like that? Been in a situation where your life has felt like that? It's felt so low. Where are you, God, in all of this? Like we said before, even Christians, good Christians, Christians who've been Christians for years, will find this a struggle at times. Not just in death, but in other things too. Well, here we have this woman in her unimaginable grief on this morning. Her life, as far as she is concerned, is over. And it doesn't matter how many people help her in the village, they can't put their arm around her and say it's going to be all right. We all want to. At a funeral, that's what we'd love to do, isn't it? We, we worry at a funeral when we become as, as, as kind of guests, if you like, or people who want to mourn with the family, but you don't know quite what to say, do you? Have you ever felt like that? Not quite sure what to say. You might say the wrong thing. You know, I don't want to upset them. It's, it's very awkward, isn't it? It's very difficult because we all can feel for them, but we can't actually walk in their shoes. Unimaginable grief for this woman here as the village gathers outside. And then it, the grief meets the grace of God. The funeral procession starts to leave. The way they used to do it was that the graves, graveyards were outside the village, obviously. That's where they had them. <coughs> and they'd have, they wouldn't have a coffin so much, but it'd be a very, you've probably seen them even today in, in some Middle Eastern countries where they have a funeral procession and there'd be lots of jostling and people carrying what they called a bier, which was the, the kind of a, a, a plinth, really, where the body was on and all wrapped up and everything like that. And that would be jostling through the streets and they'd be carrying that. Certain people would be given the job of carrying that on poles because they weren't really supposed to touch the dead body or anything like that. So it would all be the way, that sort of way. Lots of noise, lots of crying, lots of wailing, lots of everything going on. The woman is def- devastated, as we've said. And this funeral procession is working its way to the gates of the, the village and just goes out the gates uh, uh, towards the grave. And the whole village is there. They want to support her, but no one can help her. This desperate woman, who can help her? And then, as they come out of the village, another crowd is approaching. And this crowd's led by Jesus. And at this point, <coughs> the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, collide. You see it here. This, 
strange situation where two crowds are coming and they're all looking at each other and not where now jesus could have said and like what probably some of us oh this has got nothing to do with us this is difficult we don't want to get involved don't want to kind of cause any more upset let's stay out the way let's keep ourselves to ourselves right that's kind of what you do if it's if you don't know what's going on so you've got the kingdom of this world and all the way that death reigns in it and you've got the kingdom of god kingdom of christ as the king of his kingdom where there's good news because life can be brought out of death and they're colliding what's going to happen as we know in the story what answer does jesus have to this situation he's talked about abundant fish brilliant he's talked about grace he's talked about uh, generosity he's talked about all the wonderful things of god's kingdom well how does it apply to somebody who's struggling in this situation however bad this is Verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, the woman, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. They're very important words that Jesus says, or that is described there, and the words that Jesus uses. Jesus' emphasis is on the woman. Immediately he sees this woman. Out of all the crowd of people, he knows exactly the one who's suffering. And he sees her. And here we see the compassion of the kingdom of God, isn't it really? Jesus in compassion. He could have walked by, but he didn't. He, he, it's as if he couldn't, he couldn't actually not walk by. He couldn't walk by here. He couldn't not get involved. And he's shown here by Jesus, this, it's a characteristic of God's kingdom. He has compassion. He can't pass by the suffering of those he loves. And so he comes up to this and he demonstrates here again his, his kingdom here. Jesus was often in the New Testament moved with compassion, wasn't he? We read that quite a few times. You remember reading it different places, particularly in Matthew's gospel, but he's moved. That word moved actually does mean moved in his bowels. I'm sorry to be a bit rude, but that's what it does. It means enraged with compassion. Enraged with compassion. That's a strange way of putting it, isn't it? But what it is, is, is Jesus looks on, he says in those verses, he? he sees the crowds and he's moved with compassion. He's enraged because he looks at the crowds of people without, without God and without hope in the world and they've rebelled against his father in heaven. But he doesn't look at them and say, look at the state of this world. What a load of scumbags these people are. These are terrible. Look what they're doing. Now he sees the effect of sin in these people's lives and he's enraged by it. This is not how my father meant it to be. This is not what it was meant to be. Look at these poor people. And he's enraged with compassion. He has to get involved. He has to get involved so much that he comes willingly from heaven to earth to give his life for people such as you and me. And so he's moved with compassion. And this is here pictured again with this woman, not just for the crowds, but out of all the crowd, that woman who was suffering the most. This woman who meant nothing to anybody else, really, in a sense. She was just a woman in a small town in the middle of nowhere. But Jesus meets her in her need. It says, doesn't it, in the NIV, his heart went out to her. What a lovely phrase that is. His heart went out to her. Listen, if you're going through struggles, and if you're going through troubles, and you feel like your world's a bit broken, rest assured that when Jesus comes alongside, his heart goes out to you. Isn't that a lovely phrase? Thinking that Jesus actually has a heart for you. He's moved with compassion about the situation in your life just as much as you are. He's, he's enraged with it. He, he sees the way that sin has caused this and 
He, only, he knows he has the answer and you need to turn to him. He's calling you to do that. Maybe some for the first time even this evening. This is the woman's worst day. There's no future ahead, as we've said. Everything is desolate. No one can help her. Back to Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, when Jesus said, I've come to bring good news to the poor. Well, if anybody needed that good news, it's this woman, isn't it? There's nobody else at the moment who needs that good news. What's he going to do? This good news is for her. And if Jesus is real and his kingdom is real, that good news has to be for her. And it has to be for people who are struggling, just like us at times. Death was never part of God's plan, as we said before. The ultimate effect of the sinful rebellion. And the good news is that Jesus has come to reverse the effects of the fall in this world. That's his purpose for coming. That's what Calvary achieved for us. And so we see it enacted here. Jesus does this, allows this miracle to take place on purpose, not just because of this woman, but as in all things that Jesus does in our lives, it has more than just one purpose. Yes, he loves us and he has compassion on us. And sometimes, to suit his purpose and will, he will heal and do wonderful things. Sometimes he doesn't do that, but he always changes us and he's always working. He's got purposes going going on that we know nothing about. But he's working it all out. And it's always good news. And so Jesus come to reverse the effects of the fall. He's the only person who can. He's the only person who's got the answer to this woman's problem. The worst problem of all that nobody else in the world will have. It's death. And this woman is desperate. She needs to hear good news. And so Jesus says, even death itself, I'm going to demonstrate this. And here's the grace born from out of compassion that Jesus has here. Because it's all of him, isn't it? The woman had no idea who Jesus was. and She never saw him. She never asked him to come, never asked him to get involved. She was completely oblivious, lost in her own grief, understandably. What did it say? Jesus saw her, he approached her, and he spoke to her. He saw her, he approached her, and he spoke to her. That's how God works. That's how he works through the Holy Spirit. Comes alongside us. Those men on the road to Emmaus, Jesus comes alongside them. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit coming alongside us and helping us as well. The woman wasn't looking for Jesus. He approached her in her desolation and grief. And this is the compassion of God's kingdom. Jesus sees us and feels and understands all of our pain in every circumstance. He's moved by your situation. And then Jesus says these words, don't cry. Don't cry. Well, what an absurd thing to say at a funeral when she's, this woman's in the situation we've described. No one else would get away with it. From anyone else, it would be insensitive at best. Don't cry. It's all going to be okay. How insensitive can you be? That's the one thing you wouldn't necessarily say at a funeral, isn't it? And here, Jesus just says it. But he's the only one who can say it to her, and it makes sense. Because with Christ, we don't need to cry because we know he has it in his hand. Even on her worst day, even on our worst days, he comes around and puts his arm around us. And like I've said many times before from pulpits, he's the only one in the whole of the universe who can truly put his arm from, around you and say, it's going to be okay. Because he's the God, he's the God's son. He's the, he's the one who created everything. And he knows the beginning and the end. And he knows, you know, in terms of death, he knows he's the only one who knows what day we're going to go and meet with him. And he's looking forward to it. We might not be, but he is. And he knows our days are numbered in his hands. It's all in his hands. Our times, as the psalmist said, are in his hands. Do we believe that? Do we trust him in that? 
even in the darkest days, in our worst days, only Jesus could say this, and it makes sense. Don't cry. You don't need to. God's new kingdom. We see it you know, sort of revealed even more in Revelation, don't we? Where when we talk about heaven and earth and a new heaven and a new earth, where there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more tears, there's no more brokenness. That's all to look forward to, folks. That's great, isn't it? But here, there will be some of that. But in that, Jesus will walk alongside us and only he has the answer to it. And that's the grace and the compassion of God's kingdom. But finally in this, the third G, we see the glory of God's kingdom, don't we? Jesus stops the procession on the way to the grave. Jesus stops. The, think about that for a moment. They're all, you know, to stop, he goes. He, he walks up to it. Only he can do this. It's very profound, this. Only Jesus can stand in the way of death. The inevitable results of our rebellion against God. Only he can stand in the way of it. And he does it by touching the buyer, making himself unclean, just as he did on the cross for us. And that's how he conquers death. And he becomes defiled with them. He identifies with them in their pain and everything that causes that. He crosses all the boundaries. He crosses all the barriers. And he comes and reaches into our world in the same way as he does here. Only he has the authority to do it, to say stop. He says the guys stood still. I bet they did. No one else would dare do this. Who does he think he is? Who is this chap? You can imagine the wailing would stop. It would all go very eerily quiet all of a sudden. What on earth is going on here? This poor woman and her son. And who is he? They perhaps didn't realize who he was. Can you imagine? And then, and then he speaks to the dead body. He speaks. So who does that? Whoever speaks to a dead body, you might do it in kind of crying out, oh, I love you and all the rest of it, but not to command it to do anything. It's dead. Nothing's going to move it at all. He speaks to a dead body at a funeral. Only Jesus can or will do this. Remember that hymn, or part of the hymn by Charles Wesley? He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive, don't they? Young man, I say to you, arise. Who says that at a funeral? Only Jesus. And you know what? It's a picture of what Jesus does with us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, downwards, you read that chapter, wonderful chapter about grace. But we, it starts off by saying we were dead. And he speaks to our lifeless bodies and wakes them up and brings them into life again with him. Amen. Isn't that glorious? That's what he does. And we see it. His kingdom purposes enacted here in this very meeting. A new life is given to this boy. A principle of his kingdom. All new life is brought into being in Christ through his word. Through the word that he speaks. You and I, spiritually dead, brought to life through his word. Ephesians 2 verse 1, as I've already said. Only his word can save and bring new life. Life in abundance. This kingdom life that he promises us, spiritual life, eternal life, only Jesus makes sense of death because only he can overcome it. Only he and his word has the antidote to death. Again, going back to Ecclesiastes, one of the messages of that in the Old Testament, remember, if you read the first chapter, you think, why do I want to go further reading this? Life is meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. It's proper depressing to read that. But without, but the reason he's, the, the writer, if you like, 
or the preacher in Ecclesiastes writes that is because the backdrop of it all is death. How can life mean anything when you can just lose it all in a moment? How can life mean anything when death is waiting in the wings? You could be the, the brightest, the best, the richest, the most famous, but death is going to take it all away from you. It's meaningless. Nobody's got an answer to it. And that's the conclusion the writer of Ecclesiastes comes to. Except without God. And without the good news of his kingdom. And that's what we read about here, don't we? Because of death, it's not worth anything. Only Jesus can give life true meaning. Eternal life. Here, now, on earth, for us. Because he has triumphed over death. He has the answer. Jesus said something stunning in John 11, verse 25. Just coming to the end this evening now as we think about that. We think about the table in a moment as well. You know, what did Jesus say at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend? I am the resurrection and the life. Stunning claim, isn't it? But it's true. And he demonstrates it here. This is the glory, the glory of the new kingdom. That nothing triumphs over Jesus. The boy is raised. He's reunited. He gives gives him back to his mother. What a lovely picture that is. We could talk about that a lot. We haven't got time now. But it's a picture of our reunions, perhaps in heaven, when Jesus brings us back together. I think we'll be far too preoccupied with Jesus in heaven to be really bothered about all those things. We will love to see each other again, but there'll be that glorious reunion one day with friends and people who we've loved and have gone before as saints in heaven. What a day of rejoicing, as the old hymn says. That will be the joy of heaven. Do you see it here? Lives, families transformed by the life-giving power of Christ. Look what it says there. Surely God has visited us. All the crowd are amazed. Jesus transforming lives. Jesus changing lives. This, This good news changes everything. And only God can do it. Broken woman is a future, a hope and joy again. Only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can mend a broken heart. Only Jesus can turn mourning to dancing. Only Jesus can turn sorrow to joy and true joy. Only Jesus can bring life out of death. And that's the truth, isn't it? That's the good news for us this evening. So as we finish, let's just think about how we can apply all this to tomorrow morning when we go to work or whatever we're going to do tomorrow. First of all, we need to remember the compassion of Jesus. That he doesn't walk by. He feels our pain. He sees us, he approaches us, and he will speak to us through his word if we let him. The woman didn't resist him, and she let him come alongside her. And see the power of Jesus to overcome whatever our situation is. It's always better in his hands rather than ours. See the transforming Jesus who changes lives. Only he can bring life out of the deadest of situations. Where do we turn in our deadest of situations? The situations seem immovable and never going to change in a million years. We we bring them to Jesus. Remember when the disciples came down from the mountain uh, uh, and the disciples were in the valley after the transfiguration and there was a demonized boy and and they couldn't cast the demon out and and Jesus did it. So why couldn't we do it? He says it's only through prayer, isn't it really? Jesus is the only one who can do that. Only he can bring life out of death. Only he can do all those things. We bring our brokenness to him. And what Jesus said to those disciples on that day when he was in the thing, why could we do it? He said, you need to bring him to me. You might, there's certain things that you, the stuff that we're going to go on in the world that yes, you, you walk through it and we can walk alongside you. But some things, the only thing you could ever do with all things is bring them to me. Put them into my hands. 
Bring our brokenness to him. Surrender our hearts to him. Surrender our loved ones who we worry about to him. He feels our concern and our, understand and our worry for them. And he knows it. And only he can change it. Grief tonight, we've read, through grace is turned to glory. That's the kingdom of God. And finally, just again, going back to Lazarus's grave. Interesting verse just before he says that great saying about him being a resurrection in the life. Verse 26 of chapter 11 in John's gospel, Jesus is speaking to Mary and Martha and the others gathered there and he said, you know, this is who I am. And he asked them a question. Do you believe this? And that's the question I'd like to leave with us all here this evening. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us on the cross that makes all this possible, that brings the good news into our lives, if you like, that makes it for us. But the question is, do we believe it? If Jesus was coming amongst us here tonight, would you be convinced that you believe it? Would you be convinced that you meant it when you were singing your songs of, uh, our songs of worship? Would you be convinced tomorrow morning when it's no one else is looking, it's just you and the world? Do you believe these things? Jesus is asking us. And the truth is we need to believe them because Jesus is the only good news we have for ourselves and to share with this world too. Well, let's pray together, shall we?